As I speak here tonight, here in southern Illinois, we have had some interesting weather uh, in the last 24, 36 hours. So interesting, in fact, that I wasn't sure if I was going to be able to be here. I live at the end of a, a long lane with a great big hill, and um, let's just say I tried it twice with the car and decided, the car decided, nuh-uh, so I had to go back and get in the truck, but praise the Lord for, you know, being able to be here tonight, and I praise God for those who are viewing by our, our online stream, whether it's Facebook or whether it's uh, YouTube, I'm just thankful that uh, though we are few in number here in Thompsonville, uh, we can count on the fact that there are people watching and are con going to continue to watch throughout um, the world. Our key text for tonight is found in the book of John chapter 10 and verse 10, a passage that we are all very familiar with. And it says, The thief cometh not, but for to steal and to kill and to destroy. I am come that they might have life and they might have it more abundantly. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, Lord, we've already prayed once, but I just want to invite your spirit again to come and to fill this room and to anoint um, the words that they are spoken, and I pray, dear God, that those who listen out there and may even continue to listen time and time again, that you will bless them, that you will draw close to them, and that we will understand what it means to enjoy life to the full. In Jesus' name, amen. If you have your Bibles, I'd like you to go with me, invite you to go with me to the book of John chapter 4. John chapter 4, a very familiar story found in the Gospels. John chapter 4, and we will begin with verse 1. And I'm reading, I'm going to read from my Bible, which is the New King James Bible tonight. I just like reading from my the book here rather than the screen for some reason. That's okay. A, a, a story that we're all familiar with, uh, and it begins as this. Therefore, when the Lord knew that the Pharisees had heard that Jesus made and baptized more disciples than John, though Jesus himself had, did not baptize but his disciples, he left Judea and departed again to Galilee, but he needed to go through Samaria. I want to stop right there. If you have one of those Bibles that has the maps in the back or sometimes it's in the center, you often can find a, a, a map that will say something like the time of Judea during Christ's ministry. And if you start looking at the various uh, areas outlined in the map, you will see that the land of Samaria lies directly between Galilee and Judea. Now, one would think that most of the time when we want to travel somewhere, we kind of like to go in as straight a line as possible, right? Shortest distance. Let's just let me get there, right? And you can understand that even on foot during that time, that would be the same approach. But we know 
If we're students of the word, we know the history of the Jews and the Samaritans. And I think it's very possible that at times there may have been some Jews who decided to go around Samaria as to not have to go through there. But John says, but he needed to go through Samaria. Now let's talk about the people of Samaria for a moment. They were a mixed race of people, Jews and heathen colonists from Assyria. And because of their mixed heritage, the typical Jew considered the Samaritans as, dare I say, half-breeds, and therefore not worthy of fellowship with the Jewish people. But he needed to go through Samaria. So verse 5 says that, So he came to a city of Samaria, which is called Sychar, near the plot of ground that Jacob gave to his son. Now Jacob's well was there, and Jesus therefore being wearied from his journey, sat thus by the well. It was about the sixth hour. A woman of Samaria came to draw water. Jesus said to her, Give me a drink. Now, from what we understand of the timekeeping during that time, about the sixth hour would be about noon. Not the typical time that the women would come to be drawing water. Typically, the women would come to draw water maybe early in the cool of the morning or in the cool of the evening, but not in the middle of the day. It was hot. It was miserable and sticky. And it was a pretty good journey back to the city as you're carrying water pots. Yet, here is this woman. Here drawing water. Something about her life made her so undesirable, even in her own town, that she couldn't come and draw water with the rest of the women. She had to come in the middle of the day. And right off the bat, Jesus draws her into a conversation because he needed to go through Samaria. And he says, woman, give me a drink. In verse 9, it says, The woman of Samaria said to him, How is it that you, being a Jew, ask a drink from me, a Samaritan? Notice the end quotes there. Whenever you're quoting someone, her, for example, How is it that you, being a Jew, ask a drink from me, a Samaritan? End quote. Then we continue with the narrative of John the writer, and he says, for Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. She points out, you are a Jew. In by saying, I, a Samaritan woman, she was in effect saying, how is it that you, a Jewish man, are speaking to me, a Samaritan woman? Why are you even speaking to me? Jesus answers and said to her, 
If you knew the gift of God and who it is who says to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you, given you living water. Jesus continues to pique her curiosity. So you can picture her thinking for a moment and she says, sir, you have nothing to draw with. And the well is deep. Where then do you get that living water? Her response is one of a very material and physical mode of thinking. You have no bucket. You all know what I mean when I make this, this gesture? It's like it went right over her head. You don't have a bucket. But Jesus needed to go through Samaria. She continues, Are you greater than our father Jacob, who gave us the well and drank from it himself as well as his sons and his livestock? Did you hear what she said? Our father Jacob. She knew the heritage of the Samaritan people. Jacob was the father of all Israelites, after all, whether full-blooded or mixed heritage, and so they did, in fact, have something in common. Jesus answered and said to her, Whoever drinks of this water will thirst again. I, I often wonder if, 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 if she had gone ahead and dipped a little bit, and maybe he was possibly holding a small container of water there in his hand and saying, whoever drinks of this water will thirst again, but whoever drinks of the water that I shall give him will never thirst. But the water that I shall give him will become in him a fountain of water springing up into eternal, everlasting life. Makes me think of the passage in Isaiah chapter 58 and verse 11, which says, the Lord will guide you continually and satisfy your soul in drought and strengthen your bones. You shall be like a watered garden and like a spring of water whose waters do not fail. Beautiful. By this time, you can see her eyes beginning to widen a little bit. And she expresses something to her. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water that I may not thirst, nor come here to draw. She is admitting that there's something missing in her life. There's a, a little empty place that she's tried and tried to fill with different things and nothing seems to work. And Jesus is now giving her a little glimpse of something that might possibly satisfy her deepest need. Jesus now brings it a little closer to home and he says to her, go call your husband. Hmm. Jesus wants to fulfill that need in her life. He, he wants to, to satisfy that deep desire that she has, but first... There's something that must be dealt with in her life. There is an aspect 
of her life that needs to be addressed. Go and call your husband. She says, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, you have well said, I have no husband. For you have had five husbands. And the one whom you now have is not your husband. In that you spoke truly. Mm. He cuts to the heart of the matter. He exposes her. Right there at that well, he lays her sin right out there for the two of them to behold. But of course, he already saw it because he needed to go through Samaria. By this time, you can see her eyes begin to open even more. Sir, the woman said to him, I perceive that you are a prophet. Think about this, the journey that she is on. In the early part of the story, he was a Jewish man. Now, in her eyes, he is a prophet. But then, she continues on. Our fathers worshipped on this mountain, and you Jews say that in Jerusalem is the place where one ought to worship. It seems that she is attempting to divert the conversation from her sin and onto a different subject, worship. And she wants to talk about mountains and worship and ethnicity. But Jesus would not be distracted, nor would he be caught off guard. And Jesus goes into a, a, a short discourse about the worship that, that she's talking about. Woman, believe me, the hour is coming when you will neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem worship the Father. You worship <clears throat> what you do not know. We worship what we worship. We know what we worship for salvation is of the Jews. But the hour is coming and now is when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For the Father is speak, seeking such to worship him. God is spirit. And those who worship him must worship in spirit and in truth. I will not even begin to try and break down those four passages, which no doubt many sermons could be developed on most four, but suffice it to say, he told her what true worship is and what it is not. True worship cannot be limited to a certain class of people or a certain building or a certain mountain. Worship is so much more because God is so much more. Now the woman says to him, I know, you hear that? I know that Messiah, who is called Christ, is coming. When he comes, he will tell us how much? All things. And Jesus said to her, if it would have been me writing, I would have said, plainly said to her, I who speak to you am what? Am he. Mm. She, she brings up her hopes and her dreams about the coming Messiah. And Jesus tells her plainly, I am the Messiah. In the time of this conversation, he went from a Jewish man to a prophet to now the Messiah, the one that she's been looking for. She, a Samaritan woman. 
This is one of the few times that Jesus just plainly comes out and says, I am the one that you have been waiting for. And I like what it says in verse 28. The woman then left her water pot, went her way into the city, and said to the men, Come, see a man who told me all things that I ever did. Could this be the Christ? And they went out of the city and came to him. You know, good news spreads, doesn't it? Good news. And we like to spread good news, too. Oh, I love to tell good news. I don't want to hear bad news, but I like to hear good news. If you've ever been a parent or raised children in any fashion, you know what that feeling is like when, when the doctor says, you and your wife or you and your husband are pregnant. Oh, you want to tell somebody. When that baby is born, you want to tell somebody. She received a new life, and she had to tell somebody. And then if we skip down, Verse 39, it goes on and says, And many of the Samaritans of that city believed in him because of the word of the woman who testified. He told me all that I ever did. So when the Samaritans had come to him, they urged him to stay with them. And he stayed there two days. And many more believed because of his own word. <clears throat> then they said to the woman, now we believe, not because of what you said, for we ourselves have heard him, and we know that this is indeed the Christ, the Savior of the world. Amen. She got a new life. Many of them got a new life. But guess what? They're still Samaritans. They still lived in Sychar. It was still the early in the first century A.D., but their lives had changed. Where she had only had gloom and drudgery before, she now had peace and contentment and hope for a better life to come. She learned to enjoy life to the full. What a beautiful story. Mac Gober grew up with an unholy appetite for violence and brutality. After a stormy adolescence, his unhappy family drove him to military service in the jungles of Vietnam, where he honed his skills in the fine arts of karate and getting high. When Mac returned home, he left the war behind, but it wouldn't leave him. Horrifying flashbacks of screaming, dying voices, and staccato gunfire poisoned Mac's days and haunted his nights. Only an outlaw motorcycle gang provided enough camaraderie, cruelty, and craziness to give Mac a sense of belonging. A craving for the adrenaline high of the brutal biker lifestyle sent him roaring across America, leaving a trail of bruised, broken victims behind. 
Finally, his body reeking, his mind fried, his emotions twisted by paranoia and rage. Mac was headed for certain death. But then he had an encounter with another dying man. This dying man was hanging on a cross. And he loved Mac Gober. And Mac learned, he felt the love from that man on the dying, dying cross for the first time in his life. And after this encounter, Mac was changed forever. In 1981, he started a ministry. And for over 30 years, he worked with addicts and ex-bikers, ex-prisoners, and every other male outcast that this world had tossed away, reaching and affecting thousands of families for over 30 years. You see, Mac met Jesus. He really met Jesus. And then he, in turn, introduced Jesus to others. And this is what Jesus can do for anyone who is willing. Mac learned to enjoy life to the full. There's a beautiful passage in John chapter 17 that I just love. John chapter 17. One single verse. John 17 in verse 3, and it simply says, And this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. Jesus says that eternal life is more than just a measurement of time and space. It can be experienced here, now, today, by being in, and so to borrow some words from our sister, dear sister Shelley Quinn, in covenant relationship with God. Today, we can enjoy life to the full by walking with Jesus. I love this passage in 2 Corinthians chapter 4. 2 Corinthians chapter 4. Beginning with verse 7. <clears throat> Second Corinthians chapter 4 and verse 7. But we have this treasure in earthen vessels. Some Bibles say in clay jars or jars of clay. Did you know that you're a jar of clay? Hmm. That the excellence of the power of God may be of God and not in us. I want my jar of clay to be, uh, did I go to the wrong verse? No? Okay. All right. I was looking at the screen there. All right. And then I love the verses in 8 and 9. But we are hard pressed on every side, yet not crushed. We are perplexed, 
but not in despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Struck down, but not destroyed. When I read those passages there, I see that yes, there is tension. There is strife. The heat is being turned up. Someone once said, heat melts gold, but it hardens clay. What are you made of? It all depends on what you're made of. I love those verses because it shows us that while we may be enduring some hardships now, God has not forsaken us. He has not abandoned us. And I want to ver- skip down to verse 16 of 2 Corinthians 4. Therefore, we do not lose heart. Even though our outward man is perishing, yet the inward man is being renewed day by day. The outward man is perishing, isn't it? All you have to do is look in the mirror every morning. You say, wow, I don't look like I used to. I don't feel like I used to. Wasting away, you might say. Yet, the inward man is being renewed day by day. For our, what kind of affliction? Our light affliction. Like a grouchy neighbor. Or an unbelieving spouse, or wayward children, or a domineering boss. These are light affliction, is working for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. While we do not look at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporary, but the things which are not seen are eternal. What's the key? You have to put on your spiritual glasses to be able to see the things which are unseen. You got an aching back? It's temporary. You got bad eyesight? It's temporary. You got disappearing hair? It's temporary. Wrinkly skin, it's temporary. You have strife and conflict in your school or in your home or in your business or in your government, it's temporary. If we want to enjoy life to the full, we have to keep these things in mind. Remember our key verse, John 10.10, the thief does not come, but for to steal and to kill and to destroy. You see, the thief, he may have come into your life. Those of you who watch from home, he may have come into your life in the last few weeks or the last few months or even the last year. And his plan was to steal your joy and to kill your spirit and to destroy your faith in God. But Jesus came. To reverse all of that. And so much more. To give you life, he says, I have come that they may have life and have it, not just a little bit, more abundantly. 
He wants to give you an abundant life both here and now and more importantly in the new life to come. Go with me to 2 Peter chapter 1. Second Peter chapter one, beginning with verse five. But also for this very reason, now we're going to have a list here. There's a little list of fruits of the spirit. For this very reason, giving all diligence, add to your faith virtue and to virtue knowledge to knowledge, self-control, to self-control, perseverance, to perseverance, godliness, to godliness, brotherly kindness, and to brotherly kindness, love. And he says, for if these things are yours and abound, I'm going to say in you, you will neither be barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. He says, if you have these things and have them in abundance, you're going to bear fruit for Jesus, for the kingdom of God. And then I like verse 10, it says, Therefore, brethren, be even more diligent to make your call and election sure. For if you do these things, oh, I love this, you will never stumble. Oh, praise God. That's present tense, by the way. If you do these things, you will never stumble here and now. And in verse 11, it says, For so an entrance will be supplied to you, how much? Abundantly into the everlasting kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. These things, if they are acted out in your lives will lead to an entrance into the kingdom. You ever hear somebody say, I don't care if I just have just a little shack in heaven. As long as I'm there, I praise God, that ain't going to be the case. There ain't going to be no little shacks in heaven. A life that we can't possibly imagine. And I want to be there. Probably most of you here tonight... <clears throat> know this about me, but those watching may probably not. I work in healthcare, not on the front line, but in the information technology department. And recently I was having a discussion with a fellow worker, and this fellow worker was talking about, I said, how are things going here at the clinic? And they said, man, we're so stressed out. We're just about to bust at the seams. The, COVID testing every day, dozens and dozens of them, and you never know if somebody coming in is, is, is carrying the COVID virus and, you know, uh, just the angst of working in that environment, stressed out. And I thought to myself, praise God, I don't feel that. Now, one could say it's because I'm not a frontline worker, but it's also because I believe and I know that I have a peace that passes all understanding, as Paul says. Now, of course, I'm concerned for loved ones, and, 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 and I hate to hear it when someone 
is diagnosed with COVID-19, and I do lift them up in prayer. But I know, in the end, God is in control. In the magazine Adventist Review, dated July 2003, I apologize, I don't have the title of the article, nor do I have the author. But it says this. The Ministry of Healing, page 417, says, Above the distractions of the earth, God sits enthroned. What distractions are crowding your life? Is raising the children overwhelming at times? Are there problems that you don't dare discuss with anyone else? Is there tension in your marriage? Does happily ever after seem unattainable? Above the distractions of your family, God sits enthroned. Is your job a distraction? Is it unfulfilling? Does the future seem uncertain? Do you feel unsuccessful? Are the finances a constant burden? Does work, work absorb you and take away from your family time? Do the responsibilities and personalities you work with weigh you down above the distractions of your job? God sits enthroned. Maybe crisis has brought you to a point where you've had to face yourself. Is the unveiling of your faults and sins crushing you? Do you wonder how you got this way <clears throat> or how you'll ever change? Above the distractions of your weaknesses, God sits enthroned. Does it seem that everyone is married but you? Do you long for a fulfilling relationship that seems constantly elusive? Was your home unhappy and unloving as you grew up? Are you hoping seemingly in vain that you'll find someone who will fill the void it left above the distractions of relationships? God sits enthroned. God is seated on the throne of the universe. He is not left for a coffee break. He's not absorbed in a football game. He's not ignoring, call waiting. He is on active duty. I love this next statement. None of our dilemmas have him stumped. Nothing in our lives takes him by surprise. He sees the end from the beginning. He is patiently guiding his sheep through the rocks and the briars. Problems do not take him off guard. He knows how to calm our storms, and he can make his children walk on top of the water if that's what it takes to deliver them. Oh, that's beautiful. Desire of Ages, page 356. The Bible shows us God in his high and holy place, not in a state of inactivity, not in silence and solitude, but surrounded by 10,000 times 10,000 and thousands and thousands of holy intelligences, all waiting to do his will. Through channels which we cannot discern, he is in active communication with every part of his dominion. But it is in this speck of a world, in the souls that he gave his only begotten son to save, that his interest for, that his interest and the interest of all heaven 
is centered. God is bending from his throne to hear the cry of the oppressed. To every sincere prayer, he answers, Here am I. He uplifts the distressed and downtrodden. In all our afflictions, he is afflicted. In every temptation and every trial, the angel of his presence is near to deliver. My friends, to enjoy life to the full is to experience that all that God has to offer us here and now. No one said that this life, even when walking with Jesus, would be easy. But God promised that he will be with you. Just like he was with Noah and his family in the flood. Just like Jacob traveling through the wilderness. Just like Joseph in the prisons of Egypt. Just like the Israelites traveling to the promised land. Just like Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the fiery furnace in the lion's den. Just like Jonah in the belly of the great fish. Just like Jeremiah in the muddy dungeon. Just like Peter, Paul, and John as they endured the scourge for the cause of Christ. And just like Jesus hanging on the cross. He will be with you if you invite him. Won't you do that just now? In closing, I want to just quote, or not quote, but read a passage from a book, Steps to Christ. If you haven't read Steps to Christ, I encourage you to get that book and read it. It's so beautiful. It says in Steps to Christ, page 116 and 117, many walking along the path of life dwell upon their mistakes and failures and disappointments, and their hearts are filled with grief and discouragement. While I was in Europe, a sister who had been doing this and who was in deep distress wrote to me, asking for some word of encouragement. The night after I had read her letter, I dreamed that I was in a garden. And one who seemed to be the owner of the garden was conducting me through its paths. I was gathering the flowers and enjoying their fragrance when this sister who had been walking by my side, called my attention to some unsightly briars that were impeding her way. She was mourning and grieving. She was not walking in the pathway, following the guide, but was walking among the briars and the thorns. Oh, she mourned, is it not a pity that this beautiful garden is spoiled with thorns? Then the guide said, let the thorns alone. For they will only wound you. Gather the roses and the lilies and the pinks. Have there not been some bright spots in your experience? Have you not had some precious seasons when your heart throbbed with joy in response to the Spirit of God? When you look back into the chapters of your life experience, do you not find some pleasant pages? Are not God's promises like the fragrant flowers growing beside your path on every hand? Will you not let their beauty and sweetness fill your heart with joy? The briars and the thorns will only wound you and grieve you. 
If you gather only these things and present them to others, you are not besides slighting the goodness of God yourself, preventing those around you from walking in the path of life. To enjoy life to the full is to walk with Jesus. Every day, moment by moment. And to experience all that God has to offer us here and now. But I like the passage that says, The eye hath not seen, nor the ear heard, neither has it entered into the heart of man the things that God has prepared for those who love him. My friends, we can enjoy life to the full. We can have it today in the midst of the world that we live in. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face. And the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the stories and the encouragement that your word gives us. We thank you, Father, that knowing God is more than just a measurement of time and space, but it is eternal life can be ours here, now, and today by walking with God. Lord Jesus, come into our hearts new and fresh just now. Help us, Lord, to lay everything upon the altar and to submit everything to you. When we do so, we can truly live life and experience life to the fullest. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.